Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show with Matt West. All right, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. Heard around the world as a podcast right here in Southern Colorado, Colorado Springs, on the radio, AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars for the weekend. I have a very exciting show for you today. You could call it the Car Theft Special, because joining me for the second half of the show is... Custer County Sheriff Rich Smith. He's a board member for the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority, in addition to being the sheriff in Custer County. And he's got a very interesting perspective when it comes to car theft. He deals with it day in and day out. And he is going to talk about why Colorado is number one in the country for car theft. We are number one. If you can believe that, we are. Um, And he's going to talk about why that's happening, what you can do to prevent it, and what the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority does. These guys, you can think of them kind of like the special forces when it comes to auto theft policing. They are the guys who are going out there. They're hunting down stolen cars. They're preventing theft in the first place. And they're busting up organized car theft rings, which do exist, by the way, especially here in Colorado. So we're going to talk about that. And before we get to that, we're also going to talk about a couple of interesting things in the first half of the show. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Corvette E-Ray and how it might save sports cars. Uh, The Corvette E-Ray is Chevrolet's new hybrid, and it's actually pretty cool. I like it. So we're going to get to that um, as well as a few other things, uh, SEMA being one of them, too. Uh, I'm going to be attending the SEMA show this year, and SEMA's doing some other cool things that I am going to tell you about. This is great, so don't go anywhere. Of course, you've tuned into uh, the correct car show on this radio station. It's the only car show on this radio station, so I guess that's winning by default, but I'm, t- <laughs> I'm taking it, so there you go. Now, before we get to that, hat tip uh, James Gilboy from The Drive. Check this out. 94-year-old tracks down father's vintage Talboat by accident and then restores it. I almost read that headline as uh, he tracks down his father's vintage Talbo and accidentally restores it, which is not correct. That's that's something I somehow, I could probably manage to do that. Unintentionally restore a car. Um, Not that many of my cars are worth restoring, but uh, that being said, this is really good. This is a a make you feel good story. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, So 94 year old British man, his name is Malcolm Stern. He lives just north of London. And he did what most 94-year-olds do uh, when he was looking for a new hobby and decided to get into 3D printing, of all things. Um, so it's definitely a 94-year-old hobby. Good good for him, by the way. Um, and he bought a 3D printer just before uh, 2020, and he wanted to make a model of a car that he remembered his dad had back when Malcolm was a, was a kid. And his dad had a 1930 Talbot Dirac, which Talbot... Talbo, it's a French name, so uh, I'm going to reserve the right as an American to mispronounce it for the duration of this show, so I will continue mispronouncing it here, but a 1930 Talbo Direct, and to uh, to give you a mental image of what this car looks like, it looks like many of the great luxury cars from the 1930s. It's got this big, long hood, these two big headlights, this beautiful radiator in the front with a hood ornament, these big fenders. Oh, man, it's a convertible. It's a drop top. It's a beautiful car, and this one's kind of canary yellow, 
And this is a car that his dad had. His dad bought it in 1935 when it was just a five-year-old used car. And uh, Malcolm says he remembers his dad driving the car to work every day, uh, taking the family on picnics. And he just said he's got fond memories of his childhood being around this car and and how it reminds him of his dad. And I I think we can all relate to that in one way uh, or another. And uh, so when he got into 3D printing, he wanted to make a model of this. And he was looking for reference pictures to make that model with. He wanted it to be accurate. So he started, he jumped on the internet, started looking for pictures of this thing. And he found at an auction, one that looked a whole lot like his dad's car, like a lot like his dad's car. It turns out it was his dad's specific car. It was the exact car that his dad owned. And so Malcolm did what any of us would do in this case, which is, um, he, he bid on it and outbid everybody and bought it. <laughs> he says that he also, he, he did feel like he overpaid for the car for physically what it was, you know, materially worth. He, he's like, yeah, I definitely overpaid for it, but that doesn't matter. He did it for the sentimental value. And, uh, and he, he, to him, there was, there was no argument. He was going to, he was going to buy the car, whatever it cost. And it was in rough shape though. That's the only challenge. The car had been kind of neglected since his dad had last had it, you know, in the, oh, I don't know, 75, 80 years since his dad had the car. Um, it had, it had kind of fallen apart a bit, but he set about restoring it now, and uh, he did much of the restoration work himself. Had a little bit done at a shop, but a full mechanical restoration as well as a uh, a body restoration too. And this is just so cool because the car is beautiful; it looks amazing. And this, you can tell this this man is just a really happy dude. And that that just you know, come on, if that doesn't make you feel good, I I don't know what he says. He drives he enjoys driving the car around, and uh, it really reminds him of his dad. While he's driving it around. And what a cool hobby for a 94-year-old to have. His hobbies are 3D printing and restoring cars. That is very cool. Congratulations to uh, Mr. Malcolm Stern. That is uh, that is very cool. And I think that speaks to the fact that cars are a cultural thing, right? We all remember the car we were around when we were a kid. It may not even be a crazy nice car. It might not be something fancy or rare. Just maybe a you know general commuter car. A point A to point B car. But it was the car our parents had. And you always have fond memories of that, I think. So it's very cool. I think we can, even if you're not a car person, I think you can, I think you can relate to that for sure. Uh, And many people dream of the day they can, you know, buy a car like the one their parents had. Well, this guy, he bought the one his dad had, found it by accident. Doesn't get any cooler than that. So anyway, um, before we wrap things up here in the first segment, I got to talk about SEMA, the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. If you're a longtime listener of the show, uh, you undoubtedly know about SEMA. I talked about them a lot last year when they were campaigning behind the RPM Act, the uh, Recognition of the Protection of Motorsports Act. And, you know, this SEMA does great political advocacy when it comes to protecting car enthusiasts, protecting the aftermarket industry who makes parts for enthusiasts. SEMA does a great job here. They're a wonderful organization and they host uh, one of the biggest aftermarket car shows in the country, if not maybe in the world. It is a huge car show. It's the SEMA show in Las Vegas every single year. I'm going to be attending this year. Um, I'm leaving on October 31st, heading down to Las Vegas. I'm going to be there. And of all things, they gave me a press pass. I don't know why they did that. They they must think I'm like really cool or important, which I'm which I'm not. <laughs> but I have them fooled, so that's what counts. Uh, so your humble radio show host here is going to be walking the floors of SEMA uh, with a press badge, talking to as many people as I can. I'm already lining up some great guest 
interviews, too. I can't wait to share these with you. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, so I can't wait to share those with you, um, and it's going to be really cool. You don't want to miss a minute of this show. You really don't. Remember, you can catch it online as a podcast. You can find video of it, YouTube and Rumble, and uh, as well as here on the radio on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Now, another thing with SEMA that I want to talk about, they just announced some of the cars in the running for their best new vehicles for the aftermarket award, which this is really, really cool. This isn't like car and driver, car of the year. No, no. These are cars that are the best ones to modify. That's what we like as car enthusiasts. So um, I'm up against a break here, but I'm going to tell you about this coming up here after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Automotive ADHD here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1. The answer. I'll see you in just a minute. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft. Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yup. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can interact with and download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Learn more at Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. The news and events that matter to you. AM 1460 and FM 101.1. The answer. Those car sounds were from Brandon at the Cars and Health Bars podcast. I had him and his co-host on the show a few months ago talking about how video games are going to create the next generation of car enthusiasts and how they are going to save car culture for generations to come. Now, if you missed that one, if you're listening on the radio, I know you missed it because that was before I had the show on the radio, but it is on the podcast. You can find that wherever fine shows and, you know, this one are downloaded. Uh, Insta- well, not Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, but Spotify, Amazon, uh, iTunes, uh, iHeart, all of the different places. You can find that there. Scroll back in the podcast feed. It's a great interview. You don't want to miss that one. Now, I was just talking about SEMA, the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, how I'm going to be attending the SEMA car show here at the end of October going into November. That's going to be exciting. Um, But SEMA has also announced the best cars or the the cars in the running right now. These are the cars that are nominated to be the best cars for the aftermarket award. And uh, this is great. So um, basically the the way these were determined these were voted on by experts and innovators they say in the automotive specialty equipment industry so aftermarket companies manufacturers things like that and they say these vehicles best represent business opportunities for aftermarket manufacturers and I'll tack on as well as enthusiasts who want to have these cars and modify them and have a whole lot of fun with them and uh, and I'll, I'll go through kind of the running here not every little detail but each category here is going to have two cars that are nominated we've got sema car of the year the ford mustang and the toyota supra 
Those are both excellent cars. Great enthusiast options. Uh, the Ford Mustang, obviously, it comes in at a little bit of a cheaper price tag, especially if you go for a uh, you know a base model or something else. But I mean, if you want the fun one, the fast one, if you really want to have fun in a Mustang, you're going to be spending about Toyota Super money these days now, which is crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about that. But um, that being said, the Toyota Super is a great option too. I mean, especially with the manual transmission now in that new Supra, you can't get cooler than that. I have actually had my eyes on one here for a few months, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can bring myself to selling the fleet and having one nice car. I have many not nice cars. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm torn. I, I actually personally want one. I, I do. And not the old Supra. I've been around the Mark IV Supras, the one, the Paul Walker one, the one that everyone wants from Fast and Furious. One of my buddies has one, and I've driven it quite a bit. It's a fun car. It just doesn't do it for me, though. And, and it's also a really expensive classic car now. And it just... Um, the cost per performance, for how it drives, I'm more of a driving enthusiast than someone who wants to buy a museum car and just park it in a garage. I want to drive the thing. And the new Supra really does that. So for me, personally, the new Supra has my vote. And the aftermarket options for it are extensive. Maybe not as extensive as the Mustang. The Mustang might win this category, but my vote would be on that Supra. Uh, now for midsize truck of the year, the Jeep Gladiator and the Toyota Tacoma. Jeep Gladiator, clear win on that. The aftermarket for Tacomas is excellent. Don't get me wrong. I love Tacomas. In fact, I own a Tacoma. That's actually my daily driver. Um, I, I love my Tacoma. It's great. But the Gladiator, when it comes to aftermarket availability, just wins because it pulls all of the aftermarket from the Jeep Wrangler as well. It is really, because uh, it does. Most of those aftermarket parts are interchangeable. The drivetrains on the Gladiator and the Jeeps are pretty much the same. Doors, things like that are the same. Most of the body panels, pretty much all of the interior, it's all identical. It's just a straight swap. So uh, Jeep Gladiator is going to win that by a landslide. Um, and uh, best full-size truck of the year, the Toyota F-Series, F-150, or the Toyota Tundra. Um just out of sheer volume, F-Series is going to take that. The Tundra's a great truck, though. I would say the Tundra's a better truck, also because Toyota, you know, they can do no wrong, obviously. So <laughs> I say I say that tongue firmly planted in cheek. But um, anyway, uh, best 4x4 SUV of the year. It's a toss-up between the Ford Bronco and the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, and those are really the only two true 4x4s on the market right now. So what can I say? Um, you know, those are, those are a great toss-up. Either one of those could take it. Jeep Wrangler, just by being around for a long time, uh, and having a lot of that that aftermarket support, having a lot of that culture with it, um, may take that. And last but not least, um, the SEMA Compact Sports Car of the Year. This is a fight between the Nissan Z and the Toyota GR86. I think the GR86 is going to take that. Lots more aftermarket support for the 86. It's easier to work on in many cases. Well, it's got a flat four. It's got the Subaru engine in it, which is, uh, don't you don't want to do spark plugs on that, just saying. But likewise, the Nissan Z's got a, you know, derivative of the VQ series engine with some turbos on the side now. Oh, it, it, it has more potential, potential as a performance car, but it's also more expensive. And the GR86 is affordable. Parts are plentiful. They're fun cars. It's a true, naturally aspirated, balanced sports car experience. Um, the Z is not quite the same. I think the GR86 
1996. We'll take that. So, hey, let me know your thoughts, though. Best cars to modify. Best current market new cars. Not talking like old stuff, because we love our old stuff as enthusiasts. But best new stuff to modify. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Um, now, I got to talk a little bit about the Corvette E-Ray. I've got just a, I've got a few minutes here left to talk about it. Uh, because this is really cool. And it's a hybrid Corvette. So, it's the C8 generation of Corvette. That's the new mid-engine one. Looks great. I won't say it's a classically beautiful car, but it's a uh, it is an exciting, it's a striking looking car, and it's um, uh, and, and it's been well received. I mean, dealers couldn't keep these things on the lot when they came out. They couldn't, and the markups were insane on them. But to give you the rundown, if you're not familiar, but it, it's a it's a mid-engine Corvette. You got the engine in the middle. You got a transaxle and the transmission and the diff and all of that is in the middle towards the back, that area. And um, there's, there's many benefits to this, um, one of which is the weight distribution of things. Having that mid-engine car, it's going to handle really good. And having majority of that weight towards the rear, over the rear axle, it's not a true rear-engine engine like a Porsche 911 is. It is mid-engine, so that engine and the whole drivetrain falls behind the rear uh, struts there, the rear axle essentially. So it does fall behind that, but, uh, well, behind I have to get that straight. In front of that, forward of that, towards the driver of that. A rear engine car like a 911 is going to have that stuff hanging out past the rear axle towards the back. So there we go. Got to clarify that. But what's, what's, what's important about this is having all of the drivetrain back there freeze up the front area the front axle area yeah and this is where it's cool this is i mean it's a no-brainer it's really simple what they did here um but chevy took the uh, took an electric motor and put it in the front you got all this space up there in the front you don't have an engine there you don't have a transmission and a drive shaft that has to run through the middle of the car now so there's room there for batteries and there's room in the front for for a motor, an electric motor. And this is where it's really cool. It's a simple idea. The premise is simple, and it's not necessarily original to Chevy, but they packaged it in the Corvette at a base price for the electric one of $106,000, which sounds like a boatload of money. That is a lot of money. But when it comes to hybrid supercars, I mean, this car gives you, um, you know, gives you huge performance that you don't get from. The closest things you're going to get this from are, you know, have names like McLaren and Ferrari and Lamborghini on the on the badges. And um, and this is a fraction of the cost. I mean, truly, uh, truly a lot. A hundred K is a lot of money, but it's not a lot when you consider uh, the other options that give you this hybrid drivetrain. And it's a good, it's a really good, really good value. So I'll give you some specs here. 655 horsepower, 495 of that is from the gas V8 in there at 6,450 RPM. And then you get 160 horsepower, 160 horsepower boost from the electric motor produces 470 pound feet of torque, another 125 pound feet of torque from the electric motor. And um, it does weigh a little bit more than the regular gas Corvette. It's just going to. That's just how it's going to be. But not not honestly, not that much more. It, it weighs 260 more pounds over a comparable Z06 Corvette uh, of the current Z, uh, C8 generation. And 260 pounds plus an extra 160 horsepower is still good. I mean, that's insanely good. I mean, the you're definitely overcoming that extra weight with the power here. And here's what's amazing about this is... The best of both both worlds. We know uh, electrics, full electric vehicles, are known for their instant torque. In a gas car, in a sports car, whether it's diesel, uh, a truck, uh, a sports car, any of these options, when you have a combustion engine, you achieve 
peak horsepower and peak torque at a certain RPM. So you don't have that peak torque number, for instance, at every RPM. It might be, let's use an example, my S2000 hits peak torque at like 8200 RPM or something. It, I don't remember the exact number, but it's way up there. Um, but that means anywhere underneath that, you're not making peak torque. You're just not. That's not where it's going to be the fastest. So the beautiful thing about electric is it has peak torque all the time from like zero RPM. As soon as you, you know, you start, you have peak torque. It is peak torque the whole time, uh, basically. But it also doesn't have peak horsepower. It's peak power output still that can't compare too well. I mean, obviously, Tesla with the plaids and the things like that that they have um, gets that peak power pretty high. Those cars are very quick. Um but they're also known for running out of steam in the top end at the really high speeds. You know, we're talking, you know, max speed of the car, 200 some miles an hour, right? Um, so you get the best of both worlds here with a hybrid. You get the instant torque from that electric motor, that 160 horsepower with that extra torque, though, right off the line is going to make a big difference. That's like a hundred, that's a 125 pound feet of torque boost at zero RPM, basically, right from the start, which, I mean, to accomplish that, you would need to boost the engine with, you know, a turbocharger, a supercharger or something like that to accomplish that same thing. And even then, the, when that power comes in is going to be dependent on the, you know, size of that turbo and or, or the pulley of the supercharger. You know, superchargers are more linear, obviously, with power. But regardless, this is very cool. This is very interesting. I like it. I think the you lose. there's no manual option, manual transmission option in this Corvette. There was never a manual option in the new Corvettes. So you're not losing that to go to this hybrid drivetrain. So um, I think this can absolutely save enthusiast cars as manufacturers or more importantly, governments are overstepping their bounds and telling people what they can and can't buy when it comes to cars. Um, this is really good. And I think mid-engine cars are perfect for this. They are literally ideal for this type of hybrid treatment because, like I said, the C8 Corvette, you know, Chevy was probably building this with the intention, even when they were developing just the regular gas version, they probably had the intention of doing this. And again, a mid-engine platform is perfect because your engine, your transmission, your diff are all in the back, right? And that leaves the whole front available for a motor that leaves the middle area flat there's no transmission that has to pass through the middle transmission and drive shaft that leaves that flat you can put batteries there i i think this is going to mean as more manufacturers see this as a viable option for both for performance reasons namely this doesn't get any like there's no fuel economy benefit here this is all for the sake of performance um most man i think a lot of manufacturers are going to take this and maybe start making more mid-engine sports cars uh toyota hint hint are you listening a uh, hybrid MR2. Bringing that back as a hybrid would be amazing. So, hey, don't go anywhere. Sheriff Rich Smith, my guest, talking about auto theft right here after the break on Automotive ADHD, right here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Speed Council proudly presents Automotive ADHD, now on video. For better or for worse, subscribe to Automotive ADHD now playing on YouTube and Rumble. Colorado Springs number one car show by default. This is Automotive ADHD. And those car sounds were sent in by Cameron. 
You're listening to the Automotive ADHD Show here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Hey, if you've got car sounds, send them into my show. If you post them on my Facebook page, I'll play them on the radio. How about that? You also, when you submit those car sounds, have a chance to win some free stuff. A $25 parts store gift card, an Automotive ADHD keychain, and the As Heard on the Automotive ADHD Show sticker. So there you go. Really exciting. Send those car sounds into the show. Now, I'm honored to have a very special guest joining me on the show. He has decades of experience working in law enforcement. He is the sheriff for Custer County, Colorado, and a sitting member of the board for the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority. And some say he is also a car guy. Sheriff Rich Smith, welcome to Automotive ADHD. Well, thank you, Matt, for the uh, invitation. And I have enjoyed a uh, Work in uh, two decades at the Colorado State Patrol. I've retired from there, and then I'm currently uh, the sheriff in Custer County. I've also been an emergency responder uh, as a uh, emergency medical technician on the ambulance, including here in Custer, and I have uh, volunteered on uh, search and rescue. But as you mentioned, I'm also a car guy, and uh, just one of my uh, cousins was a uh, city police officer in Iowa, and so I used to joke that he became a city cop, so he had to run fast to chase people. <laughs> I became a Colorado State Trooper so I could drive fast and uh, chase people. I love it. I love it. So you were born in Stuttgart, Germany, by the way, and you started your career as an EMT. And now you are the sheriff, you know, and you said you kind of went between you did uh, Colorado State Patrol and a lot of stuff, but kind of fill in some more blanks there real quick. So so my listeners can get a really good idea of who you are. Well, my dad was in the Air Force uh, for a career, 26 years. And uh, so I was born in Stuttgart, Germany. And then grew up mainly in Colorado Springs. And so we lived in Colorado Springs first to sixth grade. And then we had a couple more moves. And my dad retired and my mom and dad uh, retired in a uh, different state. Uh, But ever since I left Colorado uh, as a kid, I was in sixth grade when I left. I wanted to get back as soon as I could. And a lot of places we lived were Omaha and Oklahoma City. And uh, I wanted to get back to uh, Colorado. And uh, I applied for a job with the Colorado State Patrol, and they hired me uh, back in 2002, and then I've been here ever since. That's awesome. And, you know, Colorado is such a beautiful state to be in. It is just, you know, one of the best. You know, I think people come from around the world to to be here, and it's always always a treat when you already live here, I think. So <laughs> it's it is. always... And several times, you know, like if you have a bad day on the job as an EMT or a police officer, and then when you're just kind of processing through that at the end of the day, and then you look at the just the beautiful mountains, you know, it's like I get to see that every day and you get to see that every day and your uh, listeners do. But people, you know, save up all year to come here for vacation. And so we're blessed to be able to uh, live here in such a beautiful state. Absolutely. And uh, it is, and it is a gorgeous state. But one thing that I want to talk about here and w- with this being a car show too, you know, talking about auto theft, you know, something that affects all of us. I've talked about on my show before um, how Colorado, how this state, despite its beauty, despite the beautiful Sangre de Cristo mountain range that you've got over there in, in Custer County, we've got Pikes Peak out here where I'm at just past the radio studio. And uh, despite that, though, we are the hotbed for car theft and it's interesting when you look at it uh you know so why do you think colorado has the most car theft out of any state in the country and it's not some state on the you know east coast it's not you know florida new jersey you know what why is that so 
Colorado is unfortunately the hotbed for quite a few categories of crime. But as you mentioned, we were number one in the nation for auto theft. Totally unacceptable. In fact, last year we were approaching, uh, I had the number here in front of me, uh, almost a billion dollars in stolen cars in Colorado. Wow. And I, uh, my personal car insurance is USAA, and they've got an office there in Colorado Springs. And I went online to kind of tweak my coverages and everything. And somehow I accidentally entered the wrong zip code to uh, Salt Lake City, and it dropped my car insurance $1,000 by moving out of state. And so wow. the, one of the prices of auto theft is that uh, all of us responsible drivers have to pay more in uh, insurance. And uh, I also had a car stolen uh, be right before I moved to Colorado. And even with the best insurance, I think if you'll talk to anyone that's had their car stolen or been in a crash, you never come out better than you were. You always come out behind. And so uh, it, it's, it's, it's a real issue here in uh, Colorado. Absolutely. And uh, some of my longtime listeners, too, know that, that I've had a personal vehicle that was stolen as well. And, you know, I, I, I even read a eulogy for the car on the show, I will say. But it, it, the fact is, it was it was mind blowing to me because it was not a nice car. It was it was a project car. It was a $500 beater car. And, you know, the only thing I can think of, you know, it, it wasn't something in my eyes. It's like, well, thieves want to steal these cool cars and do this, which in reality, it's not that. I think when we were talking before the show, um, uh, you mentioned that the thieves are not stealing the cars because they want to necessarily joyride in them. I'm sure some do. But you said it was for other reasons. What are some of those reasons? Well, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. And so if you think of your whatever the nicest vehicle you own is, and I think, I think you told me it was a, a Honda S2000. Yep, that yeah, that's, that's one of my pride and joys. Okay, so if you were of a criminal mindset, you would be foolish to drive that to a bank robbery or to make a drug run down to Mexico or something because that's going to get confiscated or destroyed in the process. So a lot of the thieves use these vehicles to commit other crimes. And I'm aware of a case actually right there in Colorado Springs where a person had their car stolen. The police recovered it. And when they were done, they found 32 uncapped needles from syringes in the car along with some like chips of uh, meth and some different things. And so I almost don't want to have my car back if it has all that in there. I'd hate for a dog or a kid to get stuck with a needle or worse in just uh, something like that. So uh, one of the, the big reasons is to use these uh, cars and other crimes. Wow. And, and that, that is kind of speaking to, you know, talking about, some of the effect this has on people, because as you were saying that, I'm just picturing the, you know, uh, maybe a single mother or somebody who has her car stolen. She gets it back, but it's not something she can use. It's not safe for her or her kids to be in it either. What from from your perspective, working in law enforcement and seeing this day in and day out, what is that effect like on people, on, you know, the, the victims, you could say, of these crimes? Because that's what they are. They're 100 percent victims. Well, you, you asked me in a previous question uh, why the dramatic rise in auto theft in Colorado. And one of the issues that I think uh, myself personally uh, caused it is uh, reducing the penalties for auto theft. Mm -hmm. And so at one time in Colorado, you could steal a car and you might get arrested that night, but you'd bond out on a PR bond and be stealing cars tomorrow. And the worst sentence you'd get is just additional months onto your uh, unsupervised probation and so the legislature took a hard look at that last year 
and they brought back some of the tougher penalties, but they also set aside money to help some of the victims. And we talked before the show about a case where I recovered a stolen car in downtown Denver at a public uh, parking facility, and the lady who lost it was a single mother with a job, and to keep the job, she had to drive that car, liability only, so it's not covered, and it had a car seat. So we took someone who was getting by in society and literally took away their job and took away their ability to transport their child with a stolen car, and then we were able to get it back uh, to, to keep her on the, uh, the path that she uh, was on uh, to be successful. Wow. Just the toll this takes, I think, on people, you know, who are involved with it is just to me, it's heartbreaking in many ways. You know, I think about when I had my car stolen, it was a project car. It wasn't even a a second vehicle. It was it was worse than that, but it wasn't bad for me. And I just think of, you know, the fact that most people aren't, you know, car nuts. Most people don't have like eight project cars that sometimes run, but you can at least cobble one together to get to work. Most people aren't like that. They've got this one car in the family. They need it to get the kids to school. They got to get to work. You know, maybe they're a tradesman and they got to take it to the job site, you know, and, and it really is is tragic to to see the effects of that, you know, and and how we in Colorado are the, the hotbed for that. We're the biggest state in the nation for it. Now, I want to get into some of the things that can be done to prevent auto theft. We're going to talk about the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority and more after the break right here. You're listening to Automotive ADHD. My guest is Sheriff Rich Smith, Custer County Sheriff. Sheriff Smith, hang with me through the break. We'll be back in just a second. And we're back on the Automotive ADHD show. You can hear it across the radio here in Southern Colorado, as well as on the podcast on the Internet. My guest right now is Sheriff Rich Smith, Custer County Sheriff. We're talking about auto theft, how Colorado is the biggest in terms of auto theft in the nation. And we're going to talk a little bit, too, how to prevent that. Sheriff Smith, thanks again for joining me here on Automotive ADHD. Thank you uh, for having me. I'm excited to be able to share this with your listeners and hopefully make it tougher for the thieves to steal their cars. Absolutely. Now, that's that's what we need to do. We need to make it tougher for those thieves to steal the cars. Now, one of the things that's doing that, but also helping people who've had their cars stolen is the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority. And you're a board member there. Tell me a little bit about what you do. I am. Uh, so uh, back in 2002, the state legislature created a uh, uh, an authority called the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority. And I don't know if we were the first one in the nation, but we were among the first. And now there's actually 13 different states, a province in Canada and also in Australia uh, that have these uh, auto theft prevention authorities. And the funding comes from a dollar fee that your car insurance company actually collects uh, from you on your uh, bill. So if you look at your uh, recent bill from your auto, uh, your uh, car insurance, it'll say something cat poffee, uh, $1. That adds up to about $5.5 million a year. So wow. I sit on the board and there is a, I'm the sheriff, there's a chief of police, there's somebody from Department of Revenue, there's several representatives from the insurance industry, a representative from used car dealers, uh, just kind of all the different stakeholders. And uh, I, I live in uh, Custer County, and we're 740 square miles, and we're a, a small agency, so we may only have one or two deputies at a time. 
And so if an auto theft happens in Custer County, and our, our numbers are roughly equivalent per capita to what they are in other parts of the state, the car is probably not going to stay in Custer. So it's going to go to Pueblo or El Paso or Fremont County. And so a lone deputy who's out on patrol just doesn't have the time to follow up uh, with that. And that's where the Auto Theft Prevention Authority comes in. So there are several uh, different organizations, the biggest of which is called Battle, which is Beat Auto Theft Through Law Enforcement. And multiple agencies will sign into that uh, task force and they'll assign a detective. And this is paid with the uh, money from the Auto Theft Prevention Authority. And then they focus on auto theft in certain regions of the state. And, we, and we've got some of those listed. But the Denver Metro is one. And then El Paso uh, County and Pueblo County is another uh, large uh, uh uh, area that they serve. So using this money from the auto theft, uh, uh, the auto insurance companies and the, your listeners, they fund these detectives to go out and solve auto thefts. And they work with intelligence. And I actually helped start the intelligence piece of that, which was called Auto Theft Intelligence Coordination Center, ATTIC. And I went to the CATPAW board to get funding when I was at the State Patrol to fund that. And we would try to figure out who the worst of the worst auto theft suspects were. And they get into some very complex undercover operations where they're following these people around or maybe by airplane and trying to build organized crime cases on them where the penalties are much more severe than just one single case of auto theft or burglary of a vehicle. Wow. Well, and it, it, that's really amazing, too, because when I've talked to people who've also dealt with auto theft, I think some of sometimes people get the feeling that they they file the police report and then nothing happens and some people may never see that car again. But there is really something going on substantial what you're doing behind the scenes to to prosecute and find these guys who are stealing cars. Now, you mentioned something and, and I want to in a tag on this a little bit, you mentioned something about organized crime. Now, before the show, when we were talking, you mentioned organized crime uses homeless people to steal cars. Tell me a little bit about that. So the instant or the scenario that I'm speaking of is at the Denver International Airport. So the worst place you can park your car in Colorado if you don't want it stolen is the Denver International Airport. The second worst or most vulnerable place you can park your car is at an airport parking lot near the airport, and that's where these uh, organized crime are just coming in, stealing cars uh, every single day and night. And so what I've been told is that they actually uh, they do some kind of a recon to figure out where the cars are that they want to steal. And you might have somebody that knows how to steal Hyundais and Kias or somebody that knows how to steal Ford F-150 pickups or whatever. And then they go out and they pay uh, homeless people in Denver, I believe the price is $200, to get in a van, they drive them out to the airport, they drop them off outside the prospective car they're supposed to drive home, and then when they deliver the car to the uh, final destination, they get paid the balance of that money. And uh, there's there's even a, a case of people doing a fraudulent VIN sticker. So literally, before you wake up, there's already fraudulent VIN stickers on the stolen car to make it tougher to identify, uh, even the next morning before you wake up. Wow. And this is just crazy to think about what out of curiosity, what is so profitable with the stolen cars aside from using them to commit other crimes? Are they parting these out? Are they 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 doing different VIN stickers and then selling them? Where do these cars end up after they've been stolen? So you you actually just said it. So some of the cars end up in chop shops and uh, there's a very lucrative market in providing fenders or doors or radios uh, uh, from these uh, vehicles. 
uh, one other thing that Cat Paw funds is a statewide Colorado auto theft investigator, Cat Eye, annual conference. And uh, that uh, rotates around the state, and we bring detectives in from all the police departments in Colorado, and we learn the trends. And in fact, one that I went to, there was a gentleman from General Motors whose specific job was to protect General Motor cars from auto theft. So he was there to learn what techniques we were seeing, and he was taking it back to GM. And he described a project he was working on to protect the Escalade from make, being stolen and make it tougher uh, for thieves to uh, steal the car. Wow. Now, out of curiosity, tying this back into you, we talked about Custer County. So Custer County is an interesting county because it's one of the a, one of the most beautiful counties, in my opinion, in Colorado. But it B, it's it's big. It's 700, you said 740 square miles, but with a lower amount of population there. How how are you fighting for smaller communities with what you're doing in the Custer County, you know, Sheriff's Department and and things like that. How are you working for those smaller communities? So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak on the radio, but it's going to be played in Custer County to the citizens. And so I'm, I'm hoping to help them learn. We also do a thing called Coffee with a Cop, and we, we pass out information uh, like this on how to protect themselves. Uh, one of the, and you mentioned in your previous question, what are they doing with the cars? Some of these cars end up getting sold on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist on the internet. And man, that's that's a risky place uh, to buy a car. And so uh, one of the services that the Custer Sheriff's Office offers is a thing called a certified VIN inspection. And you might get sent to us from the Department of Motor Vehicles when you're trying to register the vehicle, but we can kind of help you go through and see if you're driving one of these cars that's been stolen and disguised or chop-shopped or, or uh, stuff like that. But So uh, the, the message I want to uh, send out there is if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true on buying a, a used car. Well, that and even some of those, I've come across this looking for new project cars. Sometimes you see something on Facebook Marketplace, too good to be true, definitely is too good to be true. And sometimes not only maybe is it a stolen car, but it could be a scam to get you out there and rob you, too. I've heard of that happening to some folks as well. You're 100 percent correct. So one of the keywords I would look for on Facebook Marketplace ads or Craigslist or wherever you're looking for used cars is it says no title parts only. Well, that is probably a stolen car. They don't have the title and they've already taken the big stuff off. And now they're just trying to make a few bucks on on the uh the uh, parts that they have remaining. Wow. Wow. Now, as we're wrapping up the segment here, what are things listeners can do to prevent this? You know, what if, what things have you seen that have been successful and at least deterring criminals or just making it harder? Cause if something's harder to steal, the criminals might move on to the next thing. What, what do you think works? So I track my, my personal vehicles. I track them. I have a tile tracker in both vehicles. Uh, the vehicle that I'm concerned about getting stolen, uh, which I mentioned to you, is a Genesis. It's a fast car. Uh, mm-hmm. I even have a steering wheel lock on it. So I'm doing things wow. to harden my car. And another thing that I warn people against is I'm very pro Second Amendment, and we had talked, in, and you are as well. But I would never stick a sticker on my car that says Glock or Sig or Trigicon or whatever it is you're promoting, because that's what the thieves are looking for. They know, hey, there's a potential of getting a firearms out of a car, and then that opens up a whole new avenue for them to commit crime. So I believe in hardening the target using a tile tracker or apple tracker, uh, putting a steering wheel club on, and the detectives in the street tell me this is actually deterring people from stealing cars. 
And then up here in Custer County, the sheriff's office also offers a VIN. uh, uh, We etch it on your catalytic converter. So we stick a sticker on for free uh, for our citizens. uh, And there's a sticker on the windshield that says their catalytic converter has been protected and it can be tracked by law enforcement. Wow. Well, and and it's amazing that you're doing that and seeing that that type of work done, I think, helps people be at least, you know, know that law enforcement is taking this really seriously, that you guys are here to to help the people when it comes to preventing auto theft and and many other things. And it's really amazing what you're doing with that. And uh, are there any other thoughts you could think of on just if someone is sitting here listening to the show thinking, well, I have to park my car here every day. I got to take it to this bad part of town and whatever city are there any other thoughts you can think of yeah so one harden harden your car and then you mentioned that you didn't take your car to denver airport because you heard that was a place where it was likely to be stolen yep. and then you said you know the police they the a listener might feel that the police aren't doing something to track their car but at least they're collecting the data and we're using that to analyze for like what day of the week or time of day or part of the state to do these undercover operations and I use it up here in Custer County. I'm a very small police department, but I use the data even to schedule the deputies so that I have the deputies working on the time where the crimes are being committed and they're focused on the areas where the crimes are happening. Wow. And that's kind of using technology to your advantage now, too. I mean, even even the thieves are getting smarter with technology. Um, Tell me a little bit about that, too. So I heard of one thief where they would steal the car and then there are several websites where you can run a VIN number. Uh, to see if it's stolen. And then so every time they like left their house to go do crimes or come back, they had checked the VIN number on the computer to see if it had finally been reported to law enforcement to see if it was stolen. So if you do think your car is stolen, make sure you get it reported to us right away so we can get that entered in the computer and start looking for it. One of the other big technologies uh, that I uh, like seeing out there is a thing called a license plate camera. And so you can mount those on police vehicles or on fixed locations. And then if a car drives by, the camera has the intelligence to decode the license plate and then compare it to a list and then alert law enforcement that a stolen Honda S2000 just drove by. Oh, hopefully not a stolen S2000. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, and it's really encouraging knowing the work that you're doing, knowing the work that some of the other police departments out there are doing, too. And with what the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority uh, is able to do in actually solving some of these crimes. Again, I think people have this notion that, well, it gets stolen and nothing happens. But again, that's not true. And I think you've really shed some some light onto how the police are looking at auto theft and especially what you have to do in in our state here again you know you get people coming to colorado because it's a beautiful state and it is but it's just amazing to think that kind of in the underground this auto theft is is going on so i really have to thank you and all of the deputies that work under underneath you for what you guys do absolutely and I'm, I, I think law enforcement is doing a good thing out there to deter and investigate auto theft crimes. But last year, the legislature did help us out a little bit on the penalties. And then the governor, Polis, actually said that he wanted to take Colorado from the high crime numbers that we are. And he wanted it to be one of the 10 safest states uh, to live in. And I certainly support that uh, as well. Absolutely. My guest again is Sheriff Rich Smith, Custer County Sheriff. Uh, Sheriff Smith, I want to thank you for joining me right here on Automotive ADHD. Thank you very much.
Absolutely. And, you know, I'm really grateful for all of the work that Sheriff Smith and his deputies do here in Colorado, in Custer County, what the folks at the Colorado Auto Theft Prevention Authority do as well. They are doing some very important work. We can't keep being number one in the country for for car theft. That that can't be allowed to happen for any longer. We need to do something about that. And it sounds like there's some stuff happening as well. So uh, there you go. Now, by the way, I do want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show and remind you to stay tuned because I'm going to be at the SEMA Car Show later this month and going into November. It is going to be great fun. You don't want to miss a minute of it. Of course, I want to thank the members of the Speed Council who keep this show funded as well. You can find that at thespeedcouncil.org. Remember, you can catch this show on the radio here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1 The Answer as well as uh, as a podcast wherever fine shows and hey this one are downloaded and on YouTube and Rumble I'll see you next week